Good to see you all today. Happy Easter. Uh, turn to Mark chapter 15. When we think about Easter and we think about everything that led up to the first Easter, uh, we call that the week of Passover or the Passion Week. It was Jesus' last week before his death. A lot of times, though, um, we forget about all the various events that led up to that Passover, and so I just wanted to go through a few of them. First, there was the triumphal entry. Uh, people are shouting Hosanna. They're putting the palm branches down as Jesus enters into the city. Jesus does uh, teaching in the temple for a number of days. Uh, at some point in there, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. The disciples are told by Jesus to prepare the Passover meal. He gives some specific instructions for them. Then you have um, really probably the longest section that we have is from the book of John. And we get this whole section starting really in chapter 13 uh, where Jesus washes their feet. They end up sharing the Passover meal. Then they head to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And what happens there? The disciples can't stay awake. Uh, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Um, Jesus is taken away. All the disciples flee. Then Jesus ends up before the high priest's father-in-law, Annas, for a, really like a preliminary hearing. Then he appears before the high priest, Caiaphas. Then he's taken before the whole Sanhedrin. After that, he's taken to Pilate, who sends him to Herod, who sends him back to Pilate. And then finally, Pilate gives in to the crowd's demands and agrees to have Jesus crucified. And all of these things happen in a few short days. Now, Scripture mentions many different people who were involved that last week of Jesus' earthly life. But we're going to look at one person in particular today, and I want us to notice and observe a few things about it. His name is Barabbas. So in Mark 15, we're going to start in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, 
He delivered them, delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate the resurrection of your son. We thank you that he conquered the grave, that he conquered death. And we really, truly can say, oh, death, where is your sting? In Christ, there is no sting. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can celebrate his victory. We can celebrate the forgiveness of sins. We can celebrate the newness of life that we have in him. We thank you for sending your son for us, Father. We thank you that it's in him we find true life. We love you. Amen. So we're going to look at Barabbas here. Not a lot is known about him, um, but here's what we do know. In Aramaic, the spoken language of the Jews in Jesus' time, his name simply means son of Abba, or son of the Father. Bar means son, Abba means father in the Aramaic. You could translate it to mean son of the teacher, because that was a common way they would refer to rabbis back then, as an Abba, or a father. So it's, it's even possible that his dad was a teacher or even a rabbi of some sort. Matthew's Gospel calls Barabbas notorious, which means you're famous for doing something horrible or scandalous. Okay, you could use the word infamous. And though little is known of him, all four of the Gospels mention him by name. But here's the thing, Barabbas was not a common criminal, but he was an insurrectionist. What does that mean, insurrectionist? Well, he was a nationalist who opposed Roman rule, and he wanted to see the Jews overthrow the Romans. And he was willing to do whatever it took to start an uprising, to overthrow Rome. Now, the Jews at the time were unhappy with Rome's influence in their society and their culture and their politics. They felt like Rome like, had their hands over everything, which they did, and the Jews weren't happy about that. So different groups in Judaism, we might call them factions, uh, they dealt with Roman rule in different ways. The Essenes, who most people probably haven't heard of before, uh, they retreated and lived in the wilderness. And it's, and it's actually a good thing that they did because, uh, because of them, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. You heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Uh, we have them because thanks to the Essenes living in the wilderness in isolation, uh, they took the Old Testament scrolls and stuck them in jars to preserve them and put them in a cave. And that preserved those Old Testament scrolls and, and they stayed hidden in a cave for over 1,900 years until a Bedouin boy in the 1940s discovered the cave with the scrolls. That uh, really put New Testament, excuse me, Old Testament scholarship um, and allowed them to look at the scriptures that they had from Jesus' time to the scriptures they had, oh, I'd say anywhere from four to 600 years after the time of Jesus and compare them. And all the liberal scholars, when this discovery happened in the 1940s, thought, oh, wow, like we're going to see all these ways over the hundreds of years that the text of the Old Testament was changed. And, and actually, the exact opposite happened. They saw that it was almost exact 
down to every jot and tittle. No change. So that closed the gap all the way back to Jesus' time with these Old Testament scrolls. So the Essenes, they were living in the wilderness. That's kind of how they dealt with Rome, just going to isolation. There's Christian groups that do that today. It's really not a biblical way to handle things. You had the Herodians, uh, which were a group that we hear just mentioned a couple times in the scriptures. They basically, their name kind of gives them away. They closely associated with King Herod, but they too wanted to see Rome, uh, Roman uh, influence removed. Then you had the Zealots, which actually one of the disciples was a Zealot, right? Uh, there's two Simons, but one of them is Simon the Zealot. That was another group, uh, more of a fringe radical group. They were ready to fight back, to do whatever was necessary to get Roman rule out of the Jewish land. Uh, perhaps Barabbas was one of them, we don't know. Then you had the Pharisees and Sadducees. They tolerated the Roman rule and were fine with Rome's overreaching as long as it doesn't and didn't affect their power. So they were fine kind of divvying up the power as long as they still had some. Uh, the bottom line is none of them liked the Romans. They tolerated them. Now, Barabbas was likely the leader or one of the leaders of this insurrectionist group. Uh, the two thieves crucified with Jesus, very possibly, were part of this same insurrection. Think of if you're Rome, uh, you want to make an example of the leaders so that a message is clearly sent to everybody else. This is how we're going to deal with any opposition to Rome. So Barabbas and his followers, they're trying to overthrow Roman rule. They started this uprising, this rebellion, this insurrection. But I want you to notice closely what the text says. Look back in verse 7. It says, Among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection. Now, it, didn't, it doesn't say committed murder in an insurrection. It says in the insurrection. Why is that important? Because this wasn't any insurrection. It was the insurrection. It wasn't just like a little skirmish over here that, oh, just a, a handful of people we had a problem with. Now, this was the insurrection. Um, people heard about it. They knew about it. If there was a newspaper back then, the Jerusalem Post, okay, it would have been headline news. If they had Twitter back then, it would have been trending. It was the insurrection, and that's how it was referred to. Think of today when we refer to things using the definite article, the. When we say, the Twin Towers, we don't have to explain what we're talking about, right? When we say, the Civil War, we don't have to explain, right? There was the Civil War. When we say, the Columbine shooting, we don't have to say what we're talking about. So... The insurrection is referring to a thing that was a big deal and caused some issues. So this goes on, and tensions are running high with the Romans in Jerusalem. Um, they're always running high. But now they're really running high because this insurrection happens. And, and here's the thing. Um, it, 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 it must have been pretty recent because all the insurrectionists are still in prison. And they hadn't been dealt with, Right? They're in prison. They hadn't been executed yet. And Rome doesn't just, unlike our prisons, let people sit in prison for years and years and decades and decades. All right? They put out their punishment relatively quickly. So all of this is fresh in Pilate's mind 
when Jesus is brought to him. So in the midst of all this, here comes the Jewish leaders charging someone with a crime. And it's not just any crime, but the crime of claiming to be the king, the king of the Jews. And Rome didn't like to be challenged. And Rome, if its own rulers didn't deal with the problem, then Rome itself would step in and deal with the problem, and then they'd deal with the leader who didn't deal with the problem, and it wasn't very pretty for that leader. So the Jewish leaders capitalized on this moment and used it to their advantage. Let me make a few observations regarding all this. First, I want you to notice the contrasts between Barabbas and Jesus. You have murderous versus harmless. Guilty versus innocent. Sinful versus sinless. Life-taking versus life-giving. Rightfully convicted of a crime versus wrongfully accused of a crime. Infamous versus famous. Known for his bad deeds versus known for his good deeds. Vice versus virtue. Uh, the contrast couldn't be greater. And really, Barabbas is a good picture of us because we deserve judgment. Jesus was judged. Barabbas escaped judgment for a time. Uh, but what about us? Look in John chapter 3. You've all heard this verse, but it's appropriate, especially today, for us to look at it. In verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that who ever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People love the darkness. That's why we deserve judgment. Our hearts convict us. People love the darkness. A couple chapters over in John 5, the same idea is stated. In verse 24, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So life comes through Jesus. Life comes through believing in him. Life comes through a life of obedience following after the Son. But we deserve a judgment. The judgment can be abated. The judgment can be avoided. We also deserve punishment. 
Jesus was punished. He was flogged. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was literally whipped to the point of being disfigured. Barabbas escaped that punishment for a time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, turn there. I want you to see this. In verse 4, it starts out, 2 Thessalonians 1, Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant, grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And what is the punishment? It says it in verse 9. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. How long's the punishment of eternal destruction? Eternal. It lasts forever. The punishment will not end. And who is it for? It tells us right there in 2 Thessalonians. Verse 8, who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So we deserve judgment, we deserve punishment, and we deserve death. Jesus was put to death. Barabbas was not put to death for a time. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Wages is payment, right? The payment for our sin is is death. It's not just a physical death. That's kind of a no-brainer. It's a spiritual death. Separated from God for all eternity. In Colossians 1, Paul explains this to us rather clearly. Look at Colossians 1. Let's start in verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above, above reproach before him. So you're alienated and you're hostile in mind. What does hostile in mind mean? I mean, you're against God. The natural man in his fallen state, in his unregenerate state, is opposed to God and everything that God stands for. He's opposed to it. He stands against him. He stands in contradistinction to him and doesn't want to have anything to do with him. But notice the difference we see here. 
Jesus reconciles us in his body of flesh by his death. What is that saying? His death on the cross. In order so that, because he wants to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Jesus does this sacrifice for you and me because he wants to be able to take you to the Father and show that he has paid the price and that the hostile mind, the wicked, the vile, is now holy, is now blameless, is now pure and righteous in the Father's sight. So we deserve the judgment, we deserve the punishment, we deserve death. And because we deserve those things, judgment, punishment, death, there's one solution. We have to repent. We have to turn to God. We have to forsake our sins. We have to seek Him and ask for forgiveness. God the Father sent His only Son Jesus to live the perfect life, die a horrible death, bear our sins on the cross, be crucified, and three days later, rise again. That's what we're celebrating today, right? The tomb is empty. Here's the thing. The cross is empty. Listen to me here. The cross is empty because they took Jesus' dead body off of it. But the tomb is empty because he was raised from the dead. Amen? And the triune God raised Jesus from the dead. Death could not hold him down. Death could not keep him away. Death had no power over him. Amen? And the truth is, Barabbas belonged on that cross. And so do we. Jesus took our place on the cross. We deserve the judgment, punishment, and death. And he, Hebrews says, he tasted death for us. He tasted it. And he received the wrath of God for us. He received it so you wouldn't have to receive it. We rightly deserve everything that Jesus wrongfully received. All right? We rightfully deserve everything that Jesus wrongfully received. And yet God, in his infinite mercy, his overwhelming grace, offers us life in his Son. We who curse God, we who mock God, we who, in our unregenerate state, hate God and everything about him. God, what does he do? I know what my response would be. It wouldn't be pretty if that's how I was treated. But what does God do? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, why we were still vile, why we were still disgusting, why we were still walking in our sin, why we were still spitting in his face and cursing him, he demonstrates his own love for us. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He sends the Son on the rescue mission. He sends the rescuer to rescue us. What's our state? I mean, we were in prison. We deserved it. And then we're set free. Amen? We did not deserve it. We deserve prison. We don't get that. We get set free. We don't deserve that. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. It says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The righteous for the unrighteous. How many are righteous apart from Christ? None. Not a single one. Only one righteous, Jesus. And what does he do? Dies for the unrighteous. How many are unrighteous apart from Christ? Every single person. Unrighteous. Every single one of us. And you want the truth? I am Barabbas. And you are Barabbas. And we each need someone to take our place on the cross. And we're locked up in prison and we are awaiting execution. And we got to choose. We got to choose. Uh, this isn't a choice that the crowd makes for you, it's your choice, young or old, it is your choice. The chief priests and the crowd chose Barabbas over Jesus. They said the innocent was guilty and the guilty was innocent. They chose the sinner over the sinless. They chose the son of a man over the son of man. And they chose the godless over the son of God. Given a choice, they chose Barabbas. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Well, guess what? Choose Jesus. All right? Choose Jesus. They chose a murdering insurrectionist over the miracle-working, truth-speaking Messiah, King, and Son of God. Jesus is his name. They chose death over life. I mean, the choice should have been obvious. It should have been obvious. What were they thinking? Listen, don't make the same mistake. Choose Jesus. The cross has your name on it. You're supposed to be crucified right there with the other two thieves. You're supposed to be put to death, not Jesus. He's not supposed to be put to death. The cross has your name on it. The cross has my name on it. And you're supposed to die because of your insurrection against the holy God. You rebelled. You had an uprising. But Jesus takes your place. He takes your place. So choose Jesus. Choose him. That, that's, that's the only answer to the solution. You, there's a cross with your name on it. It's got your name on it. But Jesus will take your place on the cross. He'll take your name off it and put his name on it. Do you want that? That's really the question. Do you want that? Is one of, one, of, one of two people has got to be on that cross. And it's either you or it's Jesus. Someone has to pay the penalty for sin. Listen. Well, what do we, you know, when, when we say someone's a bad judge, we usually say they're a bad judge because they're making bad decisions. And if someone appears before a judge and they're guilty and judges let guilty people go free, what do we say about those judges? They're bad judges. We want judges who judge righteously, who judge fairly, who judge morally. And God is the judge. That's what he tells Abraham in the Old Testament. God is the judge of all the earth. 
Abraham even appeals to him on that with Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's his judge, and he has to judge righteously. He has to judge justly. He has to judge in his goodness and purity, in his character. He has to judge. If he didn't, he wouldn't be a good judge. So he has to see us, and he has to see our sin, and he has to deal with it in some way. He can judge us. He does judge us. He judged the angels. The Bible already talks about that. What happened to the angels? It says they are in chains, sealed up in darkness. They've been judged. They had their chance. We have our chance right now. And God has to be a just judge. The sin has to be dealt with. He can't just say, oh, you're, I, I see you over there, and I see you over there, and you're a pretty good person, so come on in. It doesn't work like that. Why? Because God has to judge justly. He has to deal with sin accordingly. So uh, if you had a, a murderer in court, and he's like, you know, judge, I, I serve at the little old nursing home down the street, and I, I help my neighbor plant her garden, and he lists all these things. I mean, doesn't that kind of balance out, judge? No, you have to deal with the sin. Crime has to be punished. Crime has to be punished. Guess what? It's dealt with in Jesus. He takes the punishment. The crime, he, 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 he puts himself up there. He takes off your name and puts his name and he gets up on there. What did the sign say? It had it right. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. His name for you. So choose, choose Jesus. Listen, the church, we've been given the most powerful message in the world. That of reconciliation with the Father. The most powerful message of the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been given that. And this message has toppled kingdoms, changed the course of nations, altered billions of lives given hope where none existed, and given life where there was death. This message is for each one of us. We've got to receive it. We've got to receive it. We need to receive this truth. Okay? We've got to let it go from, from the words on the page into our heart. Because this is the truth each one of us has to accept personally. I can't accept it for you. You can't accept it for me. You can't accept it for the person next to you or in front of you or behind you. You can't accept it for your kids as much as you might want to. You have to accept it personally. Each person has to make that decision. Okay? Truth is truth. Either Christ died on the cross or he didn't. Either the tomb is empty on Sunday or it's not. If it's empty, it changes everything. If it's not, then our faith is in vain, Paul says. The evidence, the truth of the Scriptures clearly show us. The testimonies of many of you clearly show the validity of the testimony of the Scriptures that Christ has risen from the dead. Amen? So we need to choose Jesus. Listen, you need to choose him initially. That's called 
justification, right? God declares us to be righteous in his sight. But we need to keep choosing Jesus. It's not just like a one-time thing that you did 15 years ago, that you did in uh, a meeting when you were younger. Like, choosing Jesus means daily walking with him. And I remember Andrea's grandfather, years and years ago, just lived a life of, of unholiness, we'll say. And she wrote him a letter. He lived in California. Wrote him a letter sharing the gospel with him because it was clear he didn't know the Lord. And uh, he ended up uh, calling her writing, I forget which, but contacted her. And, and his words were, don't worry about me. I was baptized when I was 12. That was his answer. That was his answer. I mean, so he was depending on something he did 50 or 60 years ago. And someday when you stand before God, I mean, if you just point to your baptism, that ain't going to do you any good. All right, baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't get you any closer to the kingdom of heaven. If you don't believe, you're just getting wet. It's just a free bath, all right? <clears throat> and the water isn't even always warm. Okay? <laughs> Trust me, I know. That doesn't help you. And guess what? The faith of your parents, as strong as it might be, that doesn't help you. That doesn't help you get any closer to salvation. It doesn't help you. God's not going to be, oh man, your parents, they had amazing faith. Hey, you come on in. Come on in. Yeah. Come on in. That's not going to help you on the day of judgment. It's not going to help you. Your spouse's faith ain't going to help you. It's not going to help you. Your kid's faith, maybe it's greater than yours, I don't know. That's not going to help you. It's going to be you and God having a little one-on-one conversation. All right? It's going to be real short and sweet. Because he's going to get to the point. And he's going to want to know who's going to account for your sin. That's really what it boils down to. Someone's got to be on the cross. Is it going to be you or is it going to be Jesus? And if you want it to be Jesus, that comes through exercising trust in Jesus. Putting your faith that that, what he did, was enough to forgive you of your sins. Seeking the Lord and asking for that forgiveness. The scriptures say it was enough. Was it enough for you? Is it enough for you to do something about it? That's the question for each one of us. Will it make a difference for us? God says it's enough, but will it be enough for you? Will it be enough for you to do something about it? Will it be enough for you to trust the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins? Salvation comes in no other name. No other name. One name, Jesus. All right? Jesus, like a big eagle sign, salvation. And the disciples, I was reading John this week, the disciples, there's that famous passage and Thomas is talking, right? And I'm going away and Lord, where are you going? And we don't know the way. And Jesus is like, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Buddha. Oh, no. 
but through Muhammad. No. No. But through me. But through me. You got to go through Jesus to access the Father. Only his death is sufficient. All right? I didn't see Buddha up on the cross for you. It's true. I didn't see Muhammad. Sorry. And all the other gods and prophets and people we want to go through. Even Moses wasn't up on that cross for you. But Jesus was. Jesus. Jesus. Amen? So this is the message of the good news, that Jesus, the Messiah, was sent by the Father to live the perfect life, to die an awful death for us, that we might have life in him and not have death. So choose Jesus and live. Turn away from your sin. Repent. Choose Jesus. Let's pray. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel. It is a precious thing. It is an amazing thing. It's awesome. And we thank you, Lord, that while we were opposed to you, You weren't opposed to us. And from the beginning of time, Lord, you were working throughout the course of history, thousands of years, to rescue us, to rescue your people, to redeem your church. We thank you that you sent the groom, Jesus, to rescue the bride, us, the church. Father, I pray today that those that have not trusted you yet would trust you. That they would believe. Believe in what your son did for them. Believe and follow and seek you, Lord, with everything. Believe and turn away from the world, turn away from wickedness and sin, turn away from vileness, and turn to you. Lord, you are so much better than what this world has to offer. So may people today trust in what Jesus did. May they look to you, Father, and know that you are good. That you love them. That you sent your Son to rescue them from their sin. That they don't have to be on that cross. That their name can be removed. Because Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus took their place. And we thank you, Lord, 
for redeeming us, for claiming us as your own, for setting us in your kingdom, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into your glorious, beautiful kingdom. You are so good, Lord. You are so good. We thank you that we can celebrate with our brothers and sisters today to sing your praise, God. May the reality in our hearts, God, show in our lifestyle, show in our actions. Let it show in our face, God, the beauty of the gospel, that you've redeemed us. Past, present, and future sins are wiped away. As far as the east is from the west, you don't remember our sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.